Ezekiel 37.3, he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? You know, when the Lord asks you a question, don't answer it. That's what I reckon. Don't answer it because you're going to probably get it wrong. Can these dry bones live? Well, scientifically, no. Can't live, they're dead. That's not the answer. <laughs> what would an atheist say if the Lord said, can these dry bones live? No. The average person, you know, would say no. What does your reasoning capacity say about dry bones, dead dry bones? Will they live? No. But what does the Spirit of God tell us? Yeah? When we, when we die in Christ, will those dead bones one day live again? Yes. That is the hope. That is the glorious hope of Christianity. If we did not have that hope, I wouldn't be a Christian. I'd be the most foolish of men. I'd be the most pitied of men, as Paul would say. Most pitied to believe in a, a faith that does not give you eternal life. That's why I'm not a Buddhist. That's why I'm not a Hindu. I don't want to go come back into this world again as a cockroach. Crawl around under the sink, you know. In the cupboards you know because I've lived a pretty bad life so I'm going to come back as a cockroach you know what I mean and according to them but what does Christianity give you it offers you eternal life amen greater than any other faith we are the best faith in the universe amen who can testify to this if you know much about Islam don't become a Muslim. Don't give up Christianity. I know Christians that have given up Christianity to become Muslims. I'm thinking, really? You've given up eternal life with Jesus Christ, golden streets, mansions, just your own, all these beautiful, the beautiful things that are offered to us. You've given all that up for, what is it, 60 virgins or something. <coughs> Some stupid thing. Some stupid... It's, it's a lie. It's a life from the pit of hell. Amen? You know what they do? They promise the Muslim a lustful heaven. A pornographic heaven. And the Muslim craves it. That is sin at the highest level. Amen? That's not the truth. The truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other name given unto men by which we must be saved. No other name. So whatever you do, whatever you do, never let go of this hope. This hope you should be anchored to. This hope you should be, you should be like tied to. This hope goes with you everywhere. Carry it around with you. Even if it feels like a burden, put it on your back and carry it. Take it with you through this life. Carry it as a cross this life. No matter what it makes you go through. If you have to carry this cross of salvation in Christ, this hope on our shoulder, and that hope takes you into, the, into a prison cell one day because you won't give up the faith, go willingly. Amen? Because if you throw that cross off your back and say, I don't want him anymore because every time I go anywhere, I get into big trouble. I always get thrown in prison. You know, this is happening in overseas right now. Christians, you know, I remember the statistics a few years ago was 350,000 Christians are martyred a year, and I think that's gone up through the roof. It's escalating. In China, the amount of Christians that are chained up in dungeons for the faith is huge. They live a Christianity we know nothing about. We know, literally know nothing about. Nothing. We have Christianity freely every weekend. And, you know, a lot of Christians struggle just to get to church. But they're, they're chained up for the faith. They're chained up for the faith. Amen. Now, isn't that real? Isn't that real? They're carrying the cross. They're carrying their cross. Now, we, don't have, we carry a different cross at the moment. But what you've got to have in your mind is no matter what happens, if you are put to the test, hold firm. Hold firm. Whatever it may be. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Ezekiel 37.
If you're familiar with the book of Ezekiel, you probably know that scripture. It's one of the most famous. So let's go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. <clears throat> it's one of the most uh, amazing stories, or prophecies, probably more uh, clearly. It's a, a very graphic story, um, and it's, uh, it's got some very, very powerful imagery that we're going to read through, because uh, I find it a, a very, very powerful prophecy that uh, Ezekiel was, uh, well, in a sense, it came from God. God was speaking to Ezekiel and leading him through this prophecy, say this, do that, as, as he went. And it has application today, it has a lot of application today in the church. So let's take a look at it. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Everyone there? And it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Who's seen a dry bone? Anyone seen, you know, dug up, been in the garden digging and there comes up an old bone that a dog has, you know, buried? Yeah, it's dry. It's got nothing in it. It's dead. And uh, so he led me to and fro among them and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Interesting question. I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and I will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Sounds like the resurrection, doesn't it? So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are, a whole, are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Isn't that powerful? That is a one powerful piece of scripture. Speaking to dead, dry bones, and those bones come into life, and standing up a vast army. And it's the whole house of Israel. Alright, so just before I get into my sermon in relation to it, just a bit of historical context in relation to it. This vision dates back to the period of Israel's history known as the Babylonian Exile. Many of you who are historians would know about this. In 597 BC, the armies of Babylon forced the capitulation of the rebellious city Jerusalem and deported the Judean king and many Judean leaders to Babylon. And that was in 2 Kings, chapter 24. Ten years later, in 587 BC, after Jerusalem had rebelled again, the Babylonians raised Jerusalem and its temples and deported a second wave of Judean leaders. So basically, Israel was no more. It was exiled away from its homeland. Among the first wave of the deported was the young Ezekiel. And when God later called him in Babylon to the office of prophet, and for those deportees forced to live in Babylon, the future seemed 
like a black hole into which the people were just destined to disappear. It was like they were in their graves. That's what this, you know, this imagery is about. It was like they were just, they were not in their homeland. They were deported, they were in exile. They were like prisoners, they were slaves. They were a, a lost people. And what Ezekiel came with this vision and it gave him hope. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you life. Life again. A life that you don't have here, but you're going to have there. It's like a call back to the promised land. But like all Hebraic prophecy, it, is, it has present applications in many cases. Uh, so it has a present application which was for those people. But it's in the Bible now for us to draw a lot of information from, and a lot of inspiration from. And that the Holy Spirit can use the words to give us life today. Amen. Can these dry bones live? They can. So, and uh, I find that this imagery is, is quite astoundingly um, applicable today. And we're going to take a look at it. And uh, you've probably heard, put up your hand if you've heard sermons on, on this scripture or this passage. Yeah? All heard sermons? I'm just going to preach another one. So, <laughs> hope you don't mind. But uh, this, the key scripture, of course, is uh, 37. And, the, and Ezekiel 37, 1, it says, The hand of, of the Lord was upon me. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Who has felt the hand of the Lord? Yeah? Who's had the hand of the Lord upon them? Yeah? You know, what, what's it like when someone manhandles you? Has anyone ever been manhandled? I know Anthony has. I know Judah has been manhandled a few times, and he's probably manhandled a few people himself. And so is this guy here. But, you know, I, because I, I had a bit of a, a, a fighting background and stuff like that, I got manhandled a few times. And I had an older brother. I got manhandled quite a few times. And it's not nice, is it? When you're getting grabbed and thrown around and, and you know, shaken up and rattled. You know what I mean? And when the hand of the Lord is upon you, sometimes it can feel not very nice. Who knows that? Was the hand of the Lord upon the people of Israel. They were in exile. They did not obey what he, was, what he was telling them to do as a nation, and they were in exile. They were exiled to Babylon under a king who was a ruthless leader. They had it all. They had this beautiful life, and it was taken from them, and they were handed over. And that was God. God did that. that the God of love did that. Anyone who's a parent here, and I'm talking about an old school parent, knows what it's like to sometimes, when your children are naughty when they're little, to have to do something like give them a smack or yell at them or punish them or something. Right? At the time, like, you know how many times when I've done that as a, as a, when I've got a little child or, you know, uh, and they're being naughty and I'm like, oh, please don't be naughty. I say, please stop it. Don't do it anymore and you won't get in the trouble. But they do it and they get in the trouble. And you don't want to have to punish them. But you know, if you don't punish them, it's not going to be for their benefit and they're not going to learn and they're not going to grow up to be good kids. So you have to do something. That's how God feels. He's looking at the church and he's going, you know, what's wrong with them? Why don't they listen to me? Why don't they do what I ask them to do? Well, I'm going to have to lead them down, uh, uh, take them on a bit of a journey, and maybe they're going to have to go into exile, in a way. They're going to have to get dry. They're going to have to get dead. They're going to have to get lifeless for them to wake up that we need God in the house. Amen? Who's been into a church that's dead? Who's been into dead churches? Yeah? I've been in a plenty. Yeah? You walk in, it's cold, and it's dead. And... Uh, and it's, it's like you're just thinking, where's the Spirit of God? I hear the name of Jesus being preached, but where's the Spirit of God? Do we need the Spirit of God? You can't grow as a Christian without the Spirit of God. It's not, you're not coming here to get educated, because if you were, I'm not the right guy for the job. But if you're coming here to get filled with the Spirit, if you're coming here to get stirred up, if you're coming here for God to do something with you, then this is the right place, Amen. So the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. We've been brought out, haven't we? Are we a people separated from the world we're supposed to be? We're supposed to always have that. 
We are a people where to be separated from the world. We're not to be in the world anymore. Are we? Aren't we? So we're going to be separated. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. By the Spirit of God, he will bring us out of that. And when we are brought out, if we're still in it, if we've still got our feet in the world, if we're still up to our neck in the world, because a lot of Christians are up to their neck in the world, you can't speak by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can't move in you. If you're filled with sin, the Spirit of God certainly can't use you. Because it was like if He used you in that state, it was like He would be approving of your lifestyle. Amen. And He wants a clean people. He wants a holy people, a royal priesthood. He wants a people that belong to Him, who have given everything to Him. Amen. And he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Do you know, as, as a minister, and I've spoken to ministers. Um, I used to meet with ministers quite regularly many years ago and, and uh, talk with them and find out where they're at. You know, the most common thing that ministers struggle with, especially pastors in churches, is dryness. Dryness in themselves, dryness in the congregation. You know, dead, old, boring religion. You know, just going through the motions every every weekend, just raising up the courage to get up behind the pulpit and preach again. You know, I raise the courage every Sunday. Get up here, preach, Rob. Just do it. And I'm going, but Lord, I've got nothing. I'm empty. I'm dry. Don't worry. I'll speak through you. And then next thing I know, there's a like a river of of the Word of God will come, and I I can just be guaranteed in that. And now you guys have to also trust that the Spirit of God can, can use you too. He can raise you up. He can speak through you. He can give life to your dead dryness. You know? Has anyone ever felt dead and dry as a Christian? Put up your hand. I want to see a show of hands. Anyone ever felt dead and dry as a Christian? Yeah. It's a common thing. Even among those, you know, those of you that have never felt that way, I'm sure you know that it happens. And it can happen sooner rather than later. So you can be, become, like, you know, the most passionate time I see in a Christian's life is they get saved and they're just passionate, they're full on, they're in, into God. And then it can be very quickly they can fall away. They can fall away, they can fall and, and, and lose that spark, lose what it is to, to be a Christian. And that's why we have to understand when, the, when God calls us, he, he calls us to be his disciples. He calls us to be his disciplined ones. What he's saying is he wants a disciplined people. He wants a people that will do his will all the time, regardless of whether they feel it's, you know, uh, it's not going in line with what they want to do. It, it's reading the word of God. It's getting that discipline. Amen. It's getting into that prayer life. It's regularly praying. It's regularly living the life as we're meant to live. He set me in a valley, in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. Ezekiel 37, 2, and it says, He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Are we heading into some crazy times in the world? Anyone received my email during the week? It was an email I got from Cole Stringer, and it was about um, what they're trying to implement in Queensland at the moment. Uh, stopping kids in schools, evangelising. So kids that would go and even give a Christmas card that says, you know, it has a nativity scene and it says something about Jesus Christ on it. That that would be considered evangelism and they're going to have to take actions to do something terrible to those kids, you know, like expel them or suspend them or detention or whatever they're going to do to try to stop children from speaking about Jesus at all. But the Muslims can walk off and do their prayers. The Muslims can do everything that they want to do because basically this country is scared of Muslims. Right? But the Christians, no, we can oppress them. We can keep them from voicing out. So what, what I'm seeing in Australia now is there's this move now towards where Christianity is going to be terribly oppressed in years to come. And it will be for a start, it will be the uncoolest thing you could possibly think of doing and will be coming is to become a Christian. Is that already sort of a bit like that? When people find out you're a Christian? 
You know, they look at you, they change their, their disposition towards you changes the moment they find out you're Christian. You know, so we're heading towards that. We're heading towards a time where, where uh, you, know, you won't even be allowed to speak about Jesus Christ. Like we, we go out and do street witnessing. If they catch us, you know, in the future, well, I don't think it's that very far away. We could be pulled into prison for doing it. You know? So we're heading towards some very, very troubling times. Now, does the Scriptures say that's going to be the case? Do the Scriptures declare that that is going to be the case? So what's happening is the church itself is so dry, the influence of the church is so low in our community that these guys are getting away with it. They can do that. They can take prayer out of, it, out of the schools. How many years ago was that done? I was, a, I was in primary school when it happened. You know, my first bit of exposure to, to God was in primary school, and I reckon I went to a few classes, and then it was stopped. It wasn't allowed to be done anymore. And I, my, my heart was warming to God back then. I had a natural disposition to believe, you know, but because of the government, I didn't become a Christian then. And maybe that was in God's will. I had to become a Christian later, so I wouldn't lose my Christianity through my teens, you know. But this is what we're heading towards. Now, the church has got to get become alive. Amen? These dry bones must live. Ezekiel 37.3, he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? You know, when the Lord asks you a question, don't answer it. That's what I reckon. Don't answer it because you're going to probably get it wrong. Can these dry bones live? Well, scientifically, no. Can't live, they're dead. That's not the answer. <laughs> what would an atheist say if the Lord said, can these dry bones live? No. The average person, you know, would say no. What does your reasoning capacity say about dry bones, dead dry bones? Will they live? No. But what does the Spirit of God tell us? Yeah? When we, when we die in Christ, will those dead bones one day live again? Yes. That is the hope. That is the glorious hope of Christianity. If we did not have that hope, I wouldn't be a Christian. I'd be the most foolish of men. I'd be the most pitied of men, as Paul would say. Most pitied to believe in a, a faith that does not give you eternal life. That's why I'm not a Buddhist. That's why I'm not a Hindu. I don't want to go come back into this world again as a cockroach. <laughs> Crawl around under the sink, you know, in the cupboards. You know, because I've lived a pretty bad life, so I'm going to come back as a cockroach. You know what I mean? And according to them. But what does Christianity give you? It offers you eternal life. Amen. Greater than any other faith. We are the best faith in the universe. Amen? Who can testify to this? If you know much about Islam, don't become a Muslim. Don't give up Christianity. I know Christians that have given up Christianity to become Muslims. I'm thinking, really? You've given up eternal life with Jesus Christ, golden streets, mansions, just your own, all this beautiful, the beautiful things that are offered to us. You've given all that up for, what is it, 60 virgins or something? <coughs> Some stupid thing. Some stupid... It's, it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Amen? You know what they do? They promise the Muslim a lustful heaven. A pornographic heaven. And the Muslim craves it. That is sin at the highest level. Amen? That's not the truth. The truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other name given unto men by which we must be saved. No other name. So whatever you do, whatever you do, never let go of this hope. This hope you should be anchored to. This hope you should be, you should be like tied to. This hope goes with you everywhere. Carry it around with you. Even if it feels like a burden, put it on your back and carry it. Take it with you through this life. Carry it as a cross this life. No matter what it makes you go through. If you have to carry this cross of salvation in Christ, this hope on our shoulder, and that hope 
takes you into, the, into a prison cell one day because you won't give up the faith, go willingly. Amen? Because if you throw that cross off your back and say, I don't want him anymore because every time I go anywhere, I get into big trouble. I always get thrown in prison. You know, this is happening in overseas right now. Christians. You know, I remember the statistics a few years ago was 350,000 Christians are martyred a year. And I think that's gone up through the roof. It's escalating. In China, the amount of Christians that are chained up in dungeons for the faith it's huge. They live a Christianity we know nothing about. We know, literally know nothing about. Nothing. We have Christianity freely every weekend. And, you know, a lot of Christians struggle just to get to church. But they're, they're chained up for the faith. They're chained up for the faith. Amen? Now, isn't that real? Isn't that real? They're carrying the cross. They're carrying their cross. Now, we don't have, we carry a different cross at the moment. But what you've got to have in your mind is no matter what happens, if you are put to the test, hold firm. Hold firm. Whatever it may be. Amen. So he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel. The wise Ezekiel said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Only he knows. God is the answer. And with the Lord, is anything possible? Anything is possible? Yeah. Can he, you know, speak to a dry bone and it will come to life? Can he speak and the universe be created? Yeah. Is that what the word says? He spoke and it came into being. See, when you understand the universe and every, all the elements of the universe and you know uh, that by the breath of God or the speaking of God, all those things come together and form planets and form it, and energy. And he knows every intimate detail. He knows things that like scientists will spend eternity trying to work out what he's done just in the physical realm, let alone the spiritual realm and any other realms we know nothing about. So God is an all-consuming God. He is so beyond our comprehension. If we compare him to us in any way, shape or form, we've just downgraded him. And we've created a God in our own image, in our own thoughts. A God that is not the God of the Bible. See, when I hear atheists talk, you know what I say to them now? Well, the God you're talking about is not my God. The God that you don't believe to exist is not the God that I believe exists. You've created a God and then rejected him, a straw man, as they say. They build this God up and I don't accept that God. That, but that's not the God of the Bible, is it? You know, men are good at doing that. And yeah, Christians, we can be good at doing that too. We can be good at building a God the way we like God to be in our thoughts, in our minds. Is that dangerous? That's why if we don't read this enough, we don't have a clear enough picture of who he is. The majesty and the glory of the God that we serve. We need to know this so we can know who he really is. And then we, then we get an idea of how to communicate with him, how to reach out to him, how to live for him. Amen. That's why he's given us this. You know, we got the, this is the textbook to life. This is the manual. Anyone here ever bought a flat pack or something from, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, 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 you know. And you ever buy one of those flat packs and you, you come home? You ever try to put one together without reading the manual? A little instruction thing. Well, I, I have many, many years ago. I don't do it anymore. I realised, like, just get it out, look at it, work out what it says before I go screwing anything in. And I'm always guaranteed to have something around the wrong way and I do all this work and then I have to undo it. You know what I mean? That's like life, reading it and trying to be a Christian. We get it around the wrong way sometimes. We've got to take it out and do all this work, repentance, and then put it back in the right way and screw it back in, don't we? So life's like that. You need a manual to, to you know, just to uh, navigate through this life. And this is why God gave us this. And then... You know, how many Christians, I, I, I'll ask, you know, have you read this and this? And then they say, no, I haven't read that part of the Bible yet. Really? You should be reading it every year. Mm. You should be getting through it. Mm. 
You should, like there's a lot that you don't have to, like there's a lot of reading that you read and you, you don't have to necessarily try to apply it into your life. Like, you know, you get lists of names, you don't, don't apply them into your life in any way. <laughs> but, you know, there's other stuff that you just got to know. Amen. And that's why we, we have a real strong emphasis in this church on Scripture, don't we? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do our, uh, our, our chapter of the week mm -hmm. where someone comes up and reads. And that's always great because if you haven't re been reading enough Bible, then you get to at least read a chapter in church. Mm -hmm. And then we also do Scripture memory. Mm -hmm. Isn't it important to have Scripture memory? Mm -hmm. You know, you never know when you might have one of these and you'll be all alone and just all, you, all, all you've got is your memory. You know? And that's why it's so good. Store up, store up a wealth of scripture. You know, like Joseph storing up the grain for the years of famine ahead. Store it up, store it up in the granaries up here. <laughs> because you never know. You never know. All I'm, I, I've been, I believe my ministry has always been to prepare people for a time that's coming. And the Lord said to me early on, because I would always ask him, I said, Lord, what am I talking about these things? And, and people find it hard to relate to the things we're talking about because it's not happening here. I feel like I'm way ahead of my time. And the Lord says, still tell them because one day that they're going to have to hear it and at least it's been said. Do you know what I mean? And thank God for things like the internet that we can now put our sermons on. And uh, some of my old sermons that have been, you know, four years ago were preached, things I can't even remember, preaching the sermon. Mm. And uh, they've had, you know, four, five, six, seven, twenty thousand views, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they're getting, getting a lot of, you know, yeah. uh, <coughs> people are hearing them over and over again. I always think back in the days, you know, like Charles Finney and John Wesley, they must have preached amazing sermons. And they're gone. They're preached, they're gone. You know, what a pity. Wouldn't it? Who, who would love to listen to a sermon by John Wesley? You know, if you know who John Wesley is, you'll want to have listened to one of his sermons. And uh, we don't have any of those, do we? But we have guys like uh, Leonard Ravenhill. He's, he's like one of those guys. So if you want to go on YouTube, look up Leonard Ravenhill, watch some of his sermons, because he's powerful. He preaches like the men of old. He came from those, he was probably one of the last of those generations. And we have his has his actual video sermons online. So please check him out because it's great to hear them. Can these bones live? You alone, O Lord, know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So what does he, he tells Ezekiel to do? He tells him, prophesy. Speak to these bones. Speak to them. So what's he telling us as people of this church? Speak, prophesy to the dry bones of this church. Prophesy, tell them to live. Amen. We've got to prophesy and not prophesy in the sense of like, uh, you know, telling the future. We speak life out. Amen. Because that's what he was told. Jesus said, just do it, just speak it. And so he spoke it. He did, and he was obedient to it. And we're getting told, speak to the lifeless church. And I'm not saying you guys are a lifeless church. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm really trying to see beyond this church. I'm talking about Church Universal. Speak to the lifeless church. Because we are part of a body. Amen? We are part of a much larger body. And we've got to see beyond just this church. Speak to the dry bones. And tell them. To live. And what are we to prophesy? Ezekiel 37 5, and it says, This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath, which is wind or spirit, enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. He promises to bind us together as a unified body. So there's denominations out there. There's people out there. There's ministers with good, sincere hearts. They love the Lord with all their heart. We all have doctrinal differences. Amen. But that doesn't matter when we start to attach ourselves, tendons, sinews, muscle fibers, skin, veins, uh, circulatory systems, all that stuff, all coming together. And we all come together, a unified whole. Amen. Does Jesus Christ pray that we'll be unified? 
I think it's something like seven times in his prayer he prays that, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now, does Jesus pray without faith? No. I don't think he did. I don't think he's ever not. He's ever prayed without faith. He's never prayed without faith. Jesus prays with faith. Now, he prayed... Uh, 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 please check me out if you want to. It doesn't really matter if I'm wrong. I think it's seven times he prays that the body of Christ will be unified. Now, what does that mean? If he prays it, is it going to be done? Yeah, it's going to be done. It's going to be done. It will happen. The church of Christ will unify. The church of Christ, one church to another church to another church, and we'll all unify. And it, there will be a wholeness about the church. And it's going to happen. So what are we, what are we to do? We are to speak that. We are to speak that unity. We are to speak that life into the lifeless church. And the church, and we've got to keep prophesying it, saying, Lord, you said it, it will be done. Lord, you said it, it will be done. And we've got to build our faith to believe that he can do this. Amen. Ezekiel 37.7 says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. There was a noise. Something started to change. There was a rattling sound. A rattling sound. Have you ever... Heard bones clinging together? They don't quite sound like chimes. <laughs> I can't make the sound. I need a good... Anyone can make the sound? No. You're not used to rattling bones together. Well, you can imagine the sound. It wouldn't be very nice. But then again, in this case, it would be amazing. Because the bones were starting to move. Has anyone ever heard... A rattling sound in the church when we start to pray as a church? Has anyone ever sensed it? I have. We've had some prayer meetings here and you sense something. You sense something starting to move. Something starting to break in the church. We're starting to see something happen. Alright? But what's happened, and this is the, the thing that's happened in Australia, and I've been, I've been a student of revivals for, for 20 years and um, I've, I've looked into the different revivals that have occurred in Australia. We've been, um, for so long now, the church has been crying out to God for revival. You know, if any of you have been in church for a while, you would have heard the pastors of many churches calling on God to revive the church. Is that true? Yeah. Pastors want revival. And, the, and a lot of the congregation want it too. But the reason my pastors want it is because we've got to preach to you. <laughs> and we want to see something happen. We want to see the fruits of our labour. And the reason the congregation want it is because the congregation want to be in the presence of God. And that is the reason why pastors uh, in so many churches are so desperate that they call their church, please come and pray. Come and pray. Let's believe together. Because when the rattling sound starts to happen, that's just the beginning. We've got to push on. We've got to keep prophesying. We've got to keep speaking over what we're, you know, uh, the words of Christ and speaking them into the life of the church until we see it start to manifest. Because it says here, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So the bride of Christ would come together. They would be connected, but still there was no breath in them. So I think what happens in, in, in revivals in, in Adelaide and in Australia is they come together, there's that life is taking place in the church, but there's no breath of the spirit that's where a lot of it has stopped because the moment you speak the breath of God into the church then the church will be a mighty influence in the community then you know and when I when I say that we have historical records of how the church has been such an influence in a community that the entire community changes its perception about everything 
becomes morally upstanding. It's so morally upstanding that the, the, the prison's empty. There's no one in the prison. Judges sit. In the, you know, magistrates sit to judge. And there's no one to judge because no one's been doing any wrong. Because everybody's seeking God. That has happened over and over again in history. Now the Word of God tells us that in the last days, that He's going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. So we're heading towards, very rapidly I believe, according to the prophecies of Scripture, we're heading rapidly towards a day when He's going to pour out His Spirit on all people. And in that time, there will Satan, you can imagine, Satan will be rising at a level we've never known. And you know how Satan rises now in the church? He rises in a few people in the church and says, this is a load of garbage, don't listen to him. That's how Satan squashes it in churches. That people get it in their heart that what the minister desires, what the minister is praying for, what the minister is led to believe God wants to do, is not true. We don't need that. We just need to conduct church as normal. And so God tries to squash it. Now that happened to me in, you know, a few weeks ago. I nearly quit pastoring. I was that close to quitting pastoring. I nearly gave it up. Because I was, I was that fed up. And then, thanks to a few people in this church that prayed, I, I got my got it back to go on because I tell you man this is the hardest job in the world I don't think there's any harder job than this because you, you can't satisfy everybody you know I've got people in this church and they all want different things they all like different things oh, I preach more of that preach more of that preach more of that preach more of that and I'm like well what do I preach <laughs> so I try to cross over it oh. all and you preach, you, you preach what God tells you to preach. You do everything that God tells you to do. And it, it feels like there's just, it's not happening. But then some people in the church come and made me aware. No, you've got the most beautiful church. Like I'm pastoring a beautiful church. I've got beautiful people. Sure, we're not, there's not 200 of us here. But the most beautiful people. And then I thought about each of you. I, literally each and every one of you. And with that thought... And with the encouragement of a few people, I went, no, you know what? I'm going to keep going. You're right. I'm going to keep going. Thank you. Thank you. So, it's a tough call, guys. Is it tough enough to be Christian? Yes. It's very tough to be Christian. And it's even tougher to lead as a Christian because I'm going to be judged a lot more harshly than those that don't do what I do. If I assume to be a teacher, I'm going to be judged at a high level. And maybe that's what God's dealing with me. Get, get really serious about this, Rob. Because you're doing serious business. A serious job this is. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Ezekiel 37, 9 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath. Come from the four winds. It's like gathering of the, of the people of God. I don't know. You know how it says he will collect his people in the rapture from, all, from the four corners, from the four winds? Similar language there. This is what Solomon says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. Did you get that? Slain. And I'm not talking about slain in the spirit. I'm not talking about that, if anyone knows where that language comes from. Slain is those that live for Christ, but their lives have no power. Do you know what I'm saying? Living for Christ, but their lives have no power. Loving Christ with all their heart. Praying, doing all the right things, but they have no power with man. They have no power with God. Anyone felt like that? You live for Christ, all these things. It says these things will follow those who believe. And then you go, well, then none of those things are in my life. We need the Spirit of God. I want to be able to speak to people and see them turn to Jesus Christ. 
not have a big long argument, debate, <laughs> go, go on and try to prove him wrong through science or whatever. That's not. You know, Yakov made me very clear with that after you read a certain book and you were reading the book and he said at the end, as good as it was, it was brilliant, it was all, so he says, but there was a, something, after I read this apologetic book, he said there was a, I felt empty inside at the end. Because we're trying to reason the faith. We're trying to reason people into believing. And that works for some people. But I tell you what, the Spirit of God can, can make people realise at a level that reason cannot. Amen? You know, we're not at the mercy of logic when we've had an experience. Are we? You know, some people can get talked out of the faith by really well-articulated atheists. They can talk a, Christ, a weak Christian that doesn't know their apologetics. They can get talked out of the faith. I've, I've read of them. I see them online all the time. But we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be so strong in God. Sure, you know what I think? This is, this is personally what I think from my experience, knowing apologetics, and everyone knows what apologetics is. Yeah? Reasoned arguments for the faith. I think that's for our building up of our faith personally, so that we're convinced without a shadow of a doubt. And then we can go, well, no matter what anyone comes and tries to tell me, no matter how many letters are after his name, I'm going to still remain rock solid. He cannot sway me with logic. So they build up our faith. But we need the breath of God. We need to know that God is so with us that we can literally lay hands on the sick and they get healed. Amen. We want to know that someone comes in here blind, we can pray and we just go, get, uh, see right now in the name of Jesus, you know what I mean? See right now. And we know without a shadow of a doubt, that person's going to walk out with their sight. Because that's what the scriptures say. But we, if we let logic rule us, as we're going through the scriptures that say this, we go, oh yeah, no, that's, that's Jesus. And that's maybe his disciples, but for us today, I don't know. That sounds a bit intense. And I, I think, you know, you, know some, you, you get to the point when you haven't seen it in so long, you get used to not seeing it. And when someone comes in sick and you pray for them, you sort of expect not for them to get healed. Has anyone felt that way? You just about get so used to it. So what's happening? It says it here, O breath, breathe into these slain. So this is what Sovereign says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain. We're slain. We believe in the truth. Amen. We have the truth. But we're slain. We need the power. That they may live. That they may live in the spirit. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. Hasn't the language changed? What is it now? It's an army. What's an army? People that fight. Go to battle. They're ready. They're armed, equipped, a vast army. They're ready. They're going to march. They're going to battle. They're going to take down Satan's kingdom. That's the language that's getting used in the Bible. You know? And that's the type... Now, that army will look interesting. Because it won't be young men in their prime. It will be made of old men not in their prime. Actually, say they'll get older men in their prime. Because <laughs> we're all in our prime in Christ. Old men, young men, children, mothers, housewives, you know, old women. It'll be made up, but it's going to be a powerful army because not because of the strength of our might, not because of the age of these people, but because of the word that comes out of our mouth. Because that is the very word of God, the sword of the spirit. Amen. That's the army that God's going to raise up. And he wants to do it. He wants to do it in this church. He wants to do it in the churches of Adelaide. He wants to see the churches of Adelaide come together. Yeah. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. 
They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Now I'm just going to say a doctrine that I believe and I believe with my whole heart. Ephesians 3, said, uh, 3, 6 says, This mystery is that through the gospel, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Heirs together. Through the gospel, the Gentiles, the believing Gentiles are heirs. What are heirs? Family. Yeah, family. Uh, people that are, you know, if there's an inheritance, they'll receive it too. The Gentile believers, of, of Christian believers, are heirs together with Israel and the believers of Israel. So we now share in the promises, because it says here, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. So we're now one body with Israel. You know, what did Jesus say? The Jews, through the uh, salvation is from the? <coughs> salvation is from the Jews. They're heirs together. With Israel, members together of one body and share us together in the promise. Share us together with Israel. So all the promises of the Old Testament, when you read them, you know, if these people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If, if my people, so when he says my people, he's talking about the Christians and Israel because we are sharers together in the promise. So anti-Semitism in the church should not be because you're actually, if you're a true Christian, you're against yourself. Because we are one with Israel. One with Israel. So you should pray for Israel. Pray for your brothers. And when I say Israel, um, Israel, just like the Gentiles, it's those that believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. They must be part of the church because only the church will be saved. Only the body of Christ and the body of Christ is the church. So only the church, people who are part of the church will be saved. So we've been grafted into God's household. Does it talk about being grafted in? And the root is Jesus Christ and the tree is Israel. And we're grafted in the wild olive shoots. We're grafted into the cultivated olive tree. There's another analogy. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Ezekiel 37, 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. When they open our graves. It's a, it's a very heavy picture there, isn't it? That when, when people say, awake. You know, the Great Awakenings. Who's heard about the Great Awakenings? These were periods where the church came out of a, a deep sleep and they awoke to the reality of God. And because the church awoke, masses of people came into the kingdom. It, it had such great influences in the surrounding communities. Now, he's using even deeper language than this, that we're like we're in graves. We've got to come out of the graves. What does it say? I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's coming out of the grave. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, why are the, is the church in the graves? Because we, Christ doesn't live through us as he should. So when Christ becomes your, when Christ takes over, when I no longer live and Christ lives in me, it's like we come out of the grave. Because when you die, it's like symbolic of going into the grave. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You go down into the grave, but Christ lives in me. You come out of the grave. Amen. So I'll just finish with this last bit. Ezekiel 37, 14, I will put my spirit in you. Here's the promise. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. That was the promise to them back in that time. We can see that as our eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord, that he has done it. So what he wants to do is something new in this day. He wants to do something new in all of us. He wants us to die to self and live for him. He wants us to take up our cross and be willing to take 
whatever you know he's going to lay upon us and live for him amen so please please come along on wednesday nights to our prayer meeting because we we really do business with god on wednesday nights and make sure that through the week that you also get into the prayer closet if you're having trouble praying in your in your private time if, is anyone having trouble going into prayer on a daily basis well then, come along to the prayer meeting and get that routine happening. Get the routine of prayer. And remember, when you're there, if you're nervous about praying in front of everybody, then don't. But just sit there and pray with us, pray along with us and agree with us. You don't have to voice a prayer, but if you, you know, like I've said before, you will feel the Holy Spirit urge you at times. And the next thing you know, you will be voicing prayers. So it's, it really comes down to the body coming together and praying and believing for things together and come on a Sunday morning as well. We only have a few minutes on Sunday morning, but it's still it's better than no minutes. So come in and try to get a few minutes with us um, beforehand. But it's so important that we believe for God to breathe life into the church. Because you know what? And this is what keeps me going. There's no other name. There's no other name. You, if you could tell me another name that was, is going to give you eternal life, I'd like to know of it. I've never heard another name. Anyone know one? No. no. There is no other. Only Jesus Christ. So we've got to put our hope in Him. We've got to live for Him while we can. While there's breath in our mouth, let us declare His praises. Amen? Because one day, our faith is going to be tested. One day our faith will be tested and we'll be facing that time when we're going to move on from this life to the next. And when that time comes, you want to know that you're in Him. Amen. You don't want to be, you don't, you don't want to have not gone to church in like three, four years and you, you've, you've not wanted people to talk to you about Jesus. You won't want to then be in that place where you're about to die and you've lived that, you've had that sort of background. You'd be petrified. You'd be petrified at that time. You would be thinking, why didn't I just stick to my guns? Why didn't I just stick with Christ? Why didn't I just stay going to church even though some weeks I, I, it was really hard to get out of bed? You know what I mean? Why wasn't I committed during those times? Why did I let it go? Why did I walk away from Christ? Because other things were more compelling and more interesting and seemed like those were worth you know, my, spending my time doing. You know? Do you know what we, we noticed on, on Sundays? Uh, something that takes the interest of the world now is Sunday mornings, family mornings, having breakfast in coffee shops and stuff around the city. Everywhere, <laughs> the coffee shops are full. They have a field day on Sunday mornings. In a sense, that's their little religious thing that they go and do. They go and do that. How... Like when you come to church, sometimes you just think, you know, gee, it would be nice to just go and relax at a coffee shop, have a coffee with them. You know, so, I know Lena's going, no, not me. <laughs> but when you work all week, you know, that's the, that's the thing that, and, and Satan uses those sort of things. I hope I haven't given you guys any ideas now. <laughs> Driving to church, oh, yeah, it does sound nice. Um, we just might have to start having a breakfast, breakfast here. Yeah, breakfast and then I'll preach. Um, but that's Satan's way of keeping the body of Christ weak, isn't it? Satan's way of keeping people from committing. Because Satan doesn't want you to believe. Satan doesn't want you to follow him, uh, follow Jesus. Satan doesn't want you to, uh, to turn to Christ with all your heart. He, he's, he's petrified. Because one more person living for Christ is one more person he's lost. Out of his world. Do you know what I mean? And get this, the moment you become a Christian, he's going to do everything in his power to pull you back into his kingdom. So you've got to know that this is it. This is the truth. Amen. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you um, help take these words that were spoken this morning and, and use them uh, to bring great glory to your name, firstly, Lord, and also that's just to help bolster our faith and help to strengthen our faith in you. And that uh, these words would go deep into our hearts and penetrate us uh, at a level that maybe we haven't been uh, touched before at. And so, God, help us, Lord. Help us to really serve you and, and uh, to live for you and put you first in everything, despite all the th 
voices going on in our head and all the things that go on, Lord. Help us to just push all that aside and know without a shadow of a doubt that, Lord, you are the truth. That you, Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins. You gave your life for us so that we could live. Just as you were raised from the dead, we will be raised uh, with you also. And so thank you for this beautiful, beautiful promise, this beautiful hope that we have. But help us to... Uh, for it to take effect in our life now and turn us into the type of people that we're meant to be while we live on this earth. Lord, make us a, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people that belong to God. Help us to declare your praises everywhere we go, Lord Jesus, and help us to be strong in our convictions and keep us and, and turn us into disciples, disciplined ones that live for you with all their energy, with all their might, that we would put more energy into the things of, the, of, of God than into the things of the world. So I pray that you just, uh, just help us this week, Lord, help us to consolidate this sermon into our life this week and, and that uh, we have a wonderful week in you and that uh, you will guide us uh, to come together again on Wednesday and then again on next Sunday. And the witnessing team on the uh, Saturday as well, help us to all come together for that as well. And may we uh, just see some incredible, incredible things taking place in this church as we continue to press on in the faith. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And bless this time now as we have fellowship together. Amen. Amen.